Hey, I want to welcome everybody to another episode of You and the Law podcast show. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show, Virgil Green. And as always, the bearded dude who sitting over there goes by the name of Chief Swaggy One. How you doing, brother? What's going on, my brother, man? We got we got classy overload tonight, man. Man, we got some power hitters. Man, we, we got, got some overload tonight, man. Man, if you are not tuning into this podcast show, you missing out. We got we we got some royalty in the in the house on you and the law podcast show. All to the thanks of our good friend Chief Vera Bumpers. Yeah, man, I tell you, man, we uh, I, I'm I'm so glad we're doing this uh, this show uh, these this theme this month. We want to showcase our our, our beautiful sisters, man, that are in, in these positions of power, and want to show that they earned these positions, man. Nobody gave them anything; they earned them. They always reach back and bring somebody forward with them, man. So this is amazing. So I'm on. Hey, man, we need to get started so people can see uh, what we what we talk about. We talk about strong black women in law enforcement profession in leadership roles. Yes, yes. So. You know, we'll, uh, ladies, we'll let you all introduce yourselves, uh, who you are, where you're at, and what you're doing. And uh, so you, you got the floor. So uh, we'll just let everybody figure out who's going to go. Okay. Good afternoon, gentlemen, and everyone. Thank you for having me. Uh, a beautiful shout out to my sister, Chief Gina B. Hawkins, my birthday twin and my sister in crime and life. Uh, I am Linda Williams. I served as a past national president of Noble. I'm uh, currently professor of criminal justice at Middle Tennessee State University, and that's in the Nashville uh, vicinity. Thank you for having me. Glad for you to be here. Here. So thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here, not just to be joining you all, but also to, she forgot the other title that she had, Deputy Assistant Director of the United yes. States Secret Service. Um, so don't forget that part. That, that's, that's a major, major portion of her career. So always honored to be in a room with her. She's my uh, sister-in-law, but I am Chief Gina Hawkins, actually just recently retired. Um, from Fayetteville, North Carolina, and uh, I am excited to be here. Uh, not only did I serve on Noble's board as a treasurer for three years, where the trifecta served, um, but I also am actually presently the uh, second vice president for the National Association of Women Law Enforcement Executives. So um, thank you for having me during Women History Month. Thank you for joining us. And hello, everyone. I'm honored to be invited to be a part of this and be among such beautiful women with such great experiences. My name is Chief Sabrina Nolens. I've been in the chief role now for nine months, uh, including the interim. It's been a little over a year. I've been in law enforcement for quite some time now. So I welcome and honor the opportunity to network and grow and learn from these ladies and from this process. So thank you for having me and a big shout out for Vera Bumpers for the invitation. Thank you. Now, Chief Knowledge, where are you at? Where are you from? I'm with Central Center College Police Department, recently from Houston ISD for about okay. 20 years, a little over okay. 20 years. Okay. All right. Uh, and we've got on uh, another guest, I don't know if she can hear us, uh, Mrs. Hill. Uh, she's on the screen, but uh, uh, I've got her on, but I don't uh, see see her face yet. So, so lady, yeah, this is this is great. I mean, you know, what a a way to end Women History Month with having uh, some amazing uh, Black women leaders in, in law enforcement on the podcast, and um, and so um, Keith, I, I'll give you the floor. You know, since you uh, you know you got the swag, brother. Let's see what kind of swag you throw out, man. <laughs> well, I, what what I will tell you, man, it, it it's amazing. When I when, when I first got into law enforcement, I had, I had never seen a, a a sister in a leadership role. I mean, the highest rank I ever saw at the time was a lieutenant, and then we started seeing uh, sisters in the assistant chief's role, then uh, the chief's role, and then you know when I got active in Noble, you start seeing federal uh, sisters on the federal level. And for you all that are not aware of what NOBLE stands for, it's National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. And you, 
Noble has really helped or have assisted a lot of, or been the foundation for a lot of uh, us that are on this call for being in the positions uh, that we that we currently hold or we have held in the past. But I'm gonna I'm, I'm 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 call you Director Director Williams. It's gonna be Director Williams and it's gonna be Chief Hawkins. I mean, that, that's that's what it's gonna be if that's okay. That's me. But Director Williams, you gotta, I mean, you're in academia now, uh, but I don't think a lot of people know that there are um, African-American black women who are in higher level supervisory roles in the Secret Service. So kind of talk about your, um, you know, what it took to get there. I know you had a lot of uh, pushback, but, but kind of talk, you know, about your career, kind of walk us through your, through your career. So I appreciate it. You know, actually, um, Middle Tennessee State is my alma mater. And I remember the FBI came in and they were recruiting. So I told everybody I was going to be FBI. But as fate would have it, I didn't become FBI. Um, the uniform division of the Secret Service was recruiting at that time. And I took that opportunity. I said, if you allow me to get that size 10 foot in the door, then the rest is history. So I've served from Ronald Reagan to Donald Trump approximately 30 years. Uh, it was it was hard. It was challenging. Uh, when I came in, there was no black female supervisors, um, but I stand on the shoulder of greatness. Uh, there were four other, three other sisters that preceded me that had reached the helm of senior executive uh, service of the Secret Service and sat on the executive board. And yours truly was the third one to get that position. So it was through a lot of perseverance. You know, we had to depend on each other. But our collective voices were our strength. And, you know, I'm sure anybody on this call can know that we had to be twice as good to be considered half as good. So, you know, we weren't given that same latitude. So, you know what? I knew my job. I knew my job well. I did my job. I did my job well. But thing about it, when we get up there, we remember to pivot and pull back that we cannot get there and get comfortable. Uh, we have to pave the way for those sisters who come behind us. And uh, the Secret Service is better because God allowed me to be there and made a difference for uh, recruiting and outreach, particularly when we dealt with um, minority uh, candidates. So you, so you for, for the young women who are listening, uniformed services side, and then transitioned over into the protective side. I did. The Uniform Division and Special Agent are two different entities, gun-carrying okay. entities in the Secret Service. The Uniform Division are the men and women that you see that are posted and stationed at the White House. That position is based out of Washington, D.C. But as I transition over as a special agent, we have over 150 field offices to include 14 overseas offices. I was fortunate to serve as the country attache for the Secret Service uh, on the continent of Africa for three years from 2008 to 2011. And the benefit and the joy of it all is that uh, I got to meet Nelson Mandela and I proudly display that picture in my living room and in my office. Well, look at there. See, that's that's got, that had to be a, um, a very surreal moment for you. All of that on a paycheck too. I understand, <laughs> I understand. Well, Chief Hawkins, so I had the blessing and the benefit to start my career in the city of Atlanta. Um, so the city of Atlanta had one of the first black female police chiefs in 1994, Chief Beverly Harvard. So for me as a young officer, as not just uh, Chief Harvard, but we also had major hitters that were commanders and majors and captains, lieutenant throughout um, in, in the Atlanta Police Department. So for me, I didn't have a disadvantage and they were tough too. They were very tough. But I, but I benefit from that because those leaders, men and women, also sought the opportunity to mentor younger individuals. And as um, Director Williams said, I stand on all of their shoulders and they kicked me many times because I didn't know what I didn't know. Thank goodness they were there pulling me aside, telling me, trying to teach me patience and teach me understanding of the responsibility of leadership because I came on as a kid. So um, 
throughout that time period, and, and like she, like Director Williams said, you know, I knew I worked hard, and I knew that um, just just to have someone do an evaluation to tell me one, I don't think women should be police officers, and two, um, I guess you okay. To me, you know, that was a compliment um, because I knew I was doing much more. But throughout my career, I've, I've always had. I think it was the desire to always want to do more because I know there are many people depending on us to succeed. And it's not just in the profession, it's, it's in, our, in our families. You know, I want to make sure no one has any excuse to say that was a woman who took that position. That's why I'm never assigning another woman. I want to make sure they have no doubt that a woman was here and bring on other women behind me because at some point I'm going to get old and I want people to take care of me in the future, but uh, I, that's a huge responsibility to make sure you're the first or you're the only, and you want others to see you in that position so that they can keep pushing on and moving forward. So when did you, so how long were you in Atlanta? So I was in Atlanta for 18 years, and then there was a new um, city created north of Atlanta called Sandy Springs that literally started a brand new police department. So I helped start from scratch. One of the hardest things I ever had to do was help start a brand new police department. And you know, you have no idea from ordering pencils and paper to creating soft, establishing software policies to actually um, working in a, in a new um, city as a police department. I did that for seven years. After that, I went south of Atlanta and became a deputy chief for Clayton County Police Department. Was there four years before I became the chief of police for the city of Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I recently retired in February after five and a half years. And now I'm standing by for my next chapter to come about. So I'm excited about that as well. And so what, what, I think, I think, what, I think, I think what's unique about the situation involving Chief Hawkins and the, and. I think a lot of people don't understand is that there was one time in North Carolina. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Chief. Five. About, is that it was no, it was five that showed up, but we had about, and we're talking just black police chiefs. Yes. yes. Six to seven black yes, yes. police chiefs in North Carolina. Yes. And that was, and that was, that was uh, Especially uh, for North Carolina. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So, okay. okay. Well, Chief. You're, you're, tell us a little bit about you. Well, about I, yourself. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, again, uh, I work for the Houston Independent School District Police Department. I started there in 92 as a civilian personnel and wanted more for myself. I went home one day and told my husband I wanted to go to school and I wanted, didn't want a loan. I put myself through school because you had to have college hours to be an officer. Went from a civilian personnel to an officer had a lot of baggage. A lot of people did not want me to move, a lot of not very much support and didn't have any females that I can go to to kind of mentor me. But I had a, a young man by the name of Michael Benford, he's current chief now, that has been mentoring me for over 30 years. And he always told me, you, you know, just do it. In spite of, if you have to do it on your own, if you have to pay for yourself. And he kept pushing me. So I can say that I always have a heart for the people. And I was the first one in my family to go to college. I have my sister that has now went to school and became a nurse. A lot of members at my church I have helped and supported and mentored through going through school. Uh, a lot of female officers that I take to the side and mentor and try to learn for the bad that I had to endure and for the good that I have did. And for the people that just really poured into me and try to share that experience, the good and the bad. Uh, I was the first female SWAT officer for Houston HIZ because I always pushed myself. And I was always going to training when they told me, hey, we got this overtime position. I'm paying to go to a class, FBI Academy, FBI uh, leader and things like that. And just looking for different classes and training to kind of better myself. And then I'll go back and share what I learned and my experiences with other female officers. And today I'm the first female and black female for Central Center College Police Department. Well, you know, this is uh this is great. And, and and you know what I what I'd like for the young women who are watching this, uh, these are these are strong women that uh, I said it before, no one gave them anything. 
Uh, they don't think that because they are, you hear the word retired, uh, you hear the word, they're, they're still pushing. And that was a long, but, but, but Chief Hawkins, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. When I, when I heard about the six to seven, uh, I'm just going to say seven to 10 uh, sisters that were in North Carolina, man, and knowing the history of North Carolina, uh, especially Fayetteville, and, 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 that was how did you deal with that? So um, what was even uh, more profound, it was the major cities of North, it was the largest cities in North Carolina. So, um, and that made, I think the support that we knew we, we needed from each other, and then we got support from other chiefs of major cities in North Carolina. But if you remember, um, although North Carolina exists in uh, uh, whatever racism, we came from a foundation of knowing our jobs, just like Director Williams said. So there's nothing experienced that, that we couldn't respond to, answer, and address. So, but just like our whole careers, you're always having to prove yourself. Um, as, as my best friend said, you know, you can be the Supreme Court justice um, and they're going to question your education and they themselves don't have education. So you'll never be enough for certain people. But um, and, and just like Chief said, I had male, many male mentors and many mentors of all demographics as well. So all of that is very crucial in, in being able to take advantage of the opportunities whenever it's presented. Um, creates the sisterhood that we have now. You know, I have many friends that are from Secret Service because of relationships. It would even start with Director Williams. It started with a friend of Director Williams who was another black female that I knew from Atlanta. And that's how we grow because we, we understand the struggle, but we also know that we're there to support each other. Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, hey guys we, uh, we've got on the lady, another lady of the hour, uh, Chief Vera Bumpers. I don't know uh, if she can hear hear us, but uh, Chief Bumpers, are you there? Uh, she's popped up on the screen, so maybe she'll join yes, us. Yes, but... I am. Oh, hey, there you go. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Oh, we're doing good. Can you hear me? And, and we have, yeah, we can hear you. So, 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 ladies, we've got the. Okay, the I'm just premier. going to listen to my. Uh, I, I was just going to introduce you, uh, Chief Bumper. Yeah, you guys, you have some tough women. Yeah, we do, and you, and you, and you're the head of the rock star group. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we call her Queen V. That's Queen V, Queen AKA Queen. Sweet and Low. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, that's a new one on us. Sweet low, sweet low. I'm just here to just here to listen. But right. you know, you know what's also amazing uh, about these about these these strong women is that they they command a room too. They do. They command a room, and um, you know, you know, Chief Hawkins said something really interesting that. You could put you could put these ladies in any job. All three of these ladies, and, and don't forget about cheap bumpers. You could put in, them in any job, and they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna knock it out of the park. So you know that's something that young women need to hear. That when you know what you're doing, it doesn't matter where you where you end up. You're gonna know how to do it. You're, you're going you're going to know how to do it, and you're going to be confident and resilient. Um, in that position, so Virgil, you're awful quiet, man. Come on, dude. Well, I'm I'm letting you do all the talk, you know. Swag. No, you know. no, come on, man. Well, <laughs> let me let me throw in this ball, then. You know, thank you, gentlemen, for lifting us. Um, but you know, you got to know who you are and whose you are. You know, uh, of all the titles that I go by, the most affectionately is Linda with a Y. I say that because my mom knew I was going to be unique and everything about me is unique. Everything and everything that I do, I do it and put a little Linda with a Y on it. When I came on the Secret Service, I was the only female in a, in a class of 24 male agents. Uh, I was first in a lot of the assignments. But, you know, if you train me, if you teach me, then I can learn it. But you have to know that you have a right 
to be there, that you don't you don't make yourself shrink or feel small to make someone else feel comfortable. And you go toe to toe with those counterparts because you are qualified. You don't shrink. And anytime, as I did <laughs> throughout my career, when you go one on one with them, they're not so bad, but you got to you got to be able to stand toe to toe and you don't have to take no for an answer and you can go above them because the thing about it, they see you as a threat because they know. But the thing about it, each one of us represent uh, quality and authority that we didn't get there because we just happen to be pretty women. We were brains and power and beauty. And so all of that worked to our advantage. But, you know, we we reached back and, you know, we, we mentor everybody that comes behind us that, that we can. But one thing that Chief Hawkins said, our help came from a myriad of people. A lot of, of my, my what we say, sponsors or mentors were white male agents because that's who ran the Secret Service. But, you know, one told me once upon a time, and there was many times that we always got passed over promotions and you just had to wait your turn. And, you know, what God has for you will not pass you by. Uh, but when you get there, you, you got a right to be there and you have to reach back and open that door so others can come behind you. Yes. So I tell my students now, even as a professor, you cannot change the whole world. But that little spot you're standing on, go and be the change that you want to see. And you have to be the best that you are. You know, even as I transitioned from 30 years in law enforcement, I am now a professor of criminal justice. Uh, they created this professorship for me based on 35 years of law enforcement experience. So that was unique in itself that Middle Tennessee State had never had that position. It existed in other academia, but not in uh, at Middle Tennessee State. And even more so, just because I can, yours truly is a PhD practitioner completing my first year of pursuing my doctoral degree. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So that would be doctor, doctor, director. I'm, I'm just, right now just director, one day. Okay. But I let you. Oh, trust me. When I get that, you ain't got to worry about it. I would tell you. I want to. I want to. I want to say something. Oh, hey, Keith. Uh, Vera, Vera, uh, Vera okay. uh, got Go a question in the chat room. But uh, so Vera's question is: Why did each of you choose uh, law enforcement? Okay. I'll go first if that's okay. I choose law enforcement because I grew up in a place in Houston, Texas that was kind of a property area. And back in 1988, I used to ride around with HPD. They would drive around in the neighborhood and they became my friend. But I was the youngest of, say, of seven. And my brother stayed in trouble. But the police officers would stop and talk to me and I did ride-alongs with them. And I just thought that it was interesting that even though they was doing their job, they still took time out to just be a person. I seen them as a person first. And even at this level being a chief, I want people to see me as a person first. That's why it's so important of what the uh, speaker before me said is that we give back. Someone paid the way for us. Someone stood there and allowed us to stand on their shoulder and they took the time to show us the way. And I think it's our responsibility and it's our duty to do the same. You know, it's, it's sometimes heartbreaking when you go to these different trainings and different meetings and you're the only female in the room. But as females, we don't want anyone to give us anything. We're earning it now. But when we get that place, when we have arrived, so to speak, we have to make sure that we stay there and that we continue to be professional and we continue to have to reach back, like you said, and bring someone else up to take our way. Like you said, one day I want to be retired. And I want to look back and say, I had a hand in helping that young lady be like someone did for me. So for me, I know it's cliche to say I wanted to help people, but that's actually exactly what I wanted to do. I think that that's just part of who I am. Part of my makeup is to help people. And even though I'm chief, I, I want to be seen as a person, as a polite person, a given person, one that know that I answer to a high calling, and one that no matter what or how you treat me, I did what was requested of me and what was called upon for me to do. All right, Chief Hawkins, our, our Rector so, Williams. So um, I actually um, grew up loving to defend people. Um, I didn't like bullies. So I originally thought I was going to be an attorney. Then, because I always 
extend myself too much. That's a bad habit that I have. I was in college, um, a student athlete, um, doing a walk-on as another um, sport. Um, poor, so I had to have a job, and then I got exhausted. So I took a break from school, but I wanted to, I wanted to get some career that I thought would be fun. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I got to eat. So let me apply to be a police officer. I had never been exposed to police growing up. So I was very naive as a young adult. And that was 34 years ago. So what that path took me was so much more than I could ever imagine. The opportunities that I've had, um, I absolutely love people. I get a lot of energy from solving problems, from resolving issues, from really um, looking at true disparity. Um, and then when I found out all officers weren't good, oh, that was another mission that I had to say, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to eradicate that issue. Um, take off the uniform. I know why I'm wearing it. I, if you're not wearing it for that same um, issue, that same civil justice, then take the uniform off. So that became another passion for me. And also how we serve our community. I'm doing this and I'm going to continue to serve for my daughters for my family members, for me, because I don't have the uniform on right now. So I might get stopped, and I want to make sure um, this profession continues on how it should um, based off of the information that I know. So I got this profession and didn't plan on it because I had to eat and get a job, but I absolutely love it and know that it was God's path for me to be on this path. And as for me, everything about me is unique. You know, I wanted to go in law enforcement. My dad, God rest his soul, he independently owned the first black security company in Memphis, Tennessee. He had K-9 and he had a uniformed officer. And the anomaly was this is the time when daddy had this business and my father didn't have a formal education. They used to call me the pitcher because I was a lot like him. So I took that baton and I ran with it. Uh, I always believed that I could be the change that I wanted to see, that, you know, I didn't see black women in, as federal agents. Uh, I didn't see black women, you know, doing a lot of things that we're doing now. All of us wear so many hats, you know, a majority of my career, I was a single mom. And praise God, my daughter is an extraordinary young lady that's independent and has spread her wings. But even now as a professor, uh, I pour into those, uh, those students. I tell them my mantra, one of many, is where academia meets reality. And so I show them that they can. And so they say, Professor Williams, I'm going to be just like you. I said, no, you can be gooder. That's a Professor Williams word. Uh, you can be gooder than I am. So you know what? You know, people perish from a lack of, you know, ignorance, from ignorance. And ignorance is not knowing. So I use my, you know, my position as a professor to be a conduit to, you know, to all of these other ladies and all other agencies so that my students know that you can do it. Uh, it's just a matter of preparation and, and, and keeping your nose clean and uh, preparing yourself. And you don't let anybody tell you, no, you go for it and you have to persevere to, to get to it and to stick to it. Well, thank you. So, so ladies, I want to bring up Noble uh, because I don't know, uh, Chief Hawkins or uh, Director William, if you all remember the Noble Conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, I didn't attend. I was very attend. much an active agent at that time. So okay. I, okay. I heard that it was wonderful. That was one for the record book. Yeah, it, it was one for the record. And I tell you, you know, when we first formed the chapter in, in Oklahoma, it was, uh, and, and we had the, the conference there. Um, a, a real good friend of mine who was with the Tulsa Police Department, um, her first time seeing that many black female women in law enforcement uh, at one venue. And, uh, and that was something that, uh, you know, just to like to kind of expand on just how the organization of Noble where you have served as a past president, Chief Vera Bumper, she has served as a past national president. Just how that organization has brought together uh, women from federal law enforcement, from you know municipal law enforcement, and especially at the conference, because you know Keith, you said when you know these ladies, they they um, when you see them walking, you you kind of move out of their way. 
you know, and, and so at, at a noble conference, when they're all together, man, you well, just kind of just step back. You yeah, step business back. And, business. business is yeah. business for them. <laughs> they, they take care of business. And, you know, when they're at the conference, that's business. There's there's after hours and, and things like that, you know, hospitality and things. But business is business. I mean, these yeah. are ladies that go into conferences, they into classes, they teach the classes, they go to the general session. It's 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 amazing uh, the things that 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 you're doing. And people hear me say, and let me let me just say this: the reason I am so um, passionate about uh, this month is because, man, black women have just. When I got into law enforcement, you just didn't see black women in these positions. You didn't see them. No, you didn't. And, and these are these are strong women who have who are in positions of leadership, and it doesn't go to their heads. They they you can you know uh, anyone can talk to them. I see young female officers, young male officers talking uh, to each one of these uh, these these ladies. That that says a lot. Matter of fact. Um, I sent some officers last year. I had already retired, but I sent a young female officer for the first time to a noble conference. And she called me and she said, ladies, I, I promise you, she said that she said she was in tears because she never thought she would see that much female power in a room. And 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 that's that was amazing that she said she said she actually got emotional. Um by that, so that's the impact that you all and other uh, black women have in in this profession. But I do want to ask Chief something down. I don't think a lot of the the chief a question. I don't think a lot of people realize that you know we have municipal police chiefs, we have the federal uh, directors. But can you just kind of talk about how difficult it is um, in in um, in higher ed as a school as a school police chief over over a higher ed higher ed institution i don't think people realize how difficult that is to, to ensure that other people's children are safe oh it's, it's i'm sorry yeah go ahead yeah it's 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 very difficult um and, it, and it's so like someone said earlier it's so many different hats that you have to cover right um with all the active shooters now, um, with the the different clearing and things like that, for as keeping things personal, uh, keeping things private, uh, and for me in the area of town that I work in, it's it's extra uh, added issue because me being a minority black woman, right? So there's all it's very hard, but I don't think it's in, been in municipal before. I say it's all the same. People ask all the time and say, you know, uh, I know you're glad you left HISD. You're not with the kids anymore. Well, criminals are criminals. The law is the law. So I look at it all the same. I don't think one is no different than the other. I love the challenge. You go to work every day and you never know what challenge you're gonna have. So like someone said earlier, I love solving the problems. I love to see what it is, what I can help. So whether there's a student that I'm dealing with, whether they're underage, under age of 10, and you can't bring anything against them, or whether it's a teenager, I think just that opportunity, because we all have been there and have been given an opportunity. I mean, whether you can, you give an opportunity. Where you can't, you have to make that arrest and you do that. But I don't think there's really a difference. I think uh, enforcing the laws or enforcing the state laws. And it might be on the academia side, a lot of times people ask what the difference, I relate to it like this. What's the difference between uh, Macy's, Dillard's, and Folder, uh, Foley's, you know, J.C. Penney's? What is the difference? It's a different name, but when you go, it's a department store. They pretty much have the same thing, the same brand. So I, when you look at it on the whole, it's not much difference. Well, see, I, this, is, this, is what I, this is what I say about you ladies. So you just name those four retail stores, right? Y'all are Neiman Marcus. So I yeah. put y'all up there, y'all are Neiman Marcus, a whole different level. Yeah. So that's what y'all yeah. are. Y'all not, yeah, y'all, y'all Neiman's. Yeah. It's hey, North. <clears throat> hey guys, I've got a, a, a video I want to uh, 
show and want to get you guys comment uh, on the on the other side of uh, after we watch this video. Black female officers in Washington, D.C. are now suing their department. They say they were discriminated and retaliated against after they spoke up about illegal police tactics and unfair treatment. NBC News national reporter Janelle Griffith has been tracking this story for us. Janelle, now, I know that you spoke to some of these officers. What did they say about what exactly they witnessed while they were in the D.C. police department? Yes, Morgan. So the allegations, the women said that these were longstanding issues in the department. In some instances, these women had been a part of the department since the 1980s. And one of the women who I spoke to, she joined in 2015. She resigned last year. And she said that on one occasion, she witnessed what she believed to be an illegal stop and frisk of a group of black men, and that she immediately reported it to her superior, and that her superior essentially discouraged her from filing a formal complaint, which goes against the department policy. She said that her superior told her, you do realize that if you were to go forward with this complaint, the people you're complaining against will know that you did this. And she took that to mean that she shouldn't go ahead with the formal complaint. And just very quickly here for us, Janelle, how was the D.C. Police Department responding to these allegations? So they declined to comment about the specific allegations, but what they told me in a statement is uh, the Metropolitan Police Department is committed to treating all members fairly and equitably throughout our organization. We take these allegations seriously, and we will be reviewing them thoroughly and responding accordingly. All right, NBC's Janelle Griffith for us there. Janelle, as always, thank you. Thanks for watching our YouTube channel. Follow today's top stories and breaking news by downloading the NBC News app. Hey, ladies, I wanted to, to show that video because at a time, we're in a, in a time where... <clears throat> So many agencies are struggling to recruit women. And uh, when you hear about a, a news story like this where women are coming forward to, uh, to address misconduct within a police department and uh, where you, they're being discouraged, you know, hey, you don't want to go through this because now everybody uh, will know who you are. Uh, and, and especially being all black women, um, you know, how do you all feel about that? Because it is, it is, it is such, it is such a, a uh, discouraging, discouraging to hear, to hear people, who people who say you don't need you to don't support need this. So I'll, I'll start. Um, and this is not speaking of Chief Conti whatsoever. So I'm not going to comment on the, the Washington Metro Police Department, but the yeah, concept, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is, it is truly, for me, about our profession, the duty to intervene. Sometimes in your career, if you have to stand alone, then you better stand strong and stand alone. If you have to, it, it, it is easier to stand alone than to face that mirror every day, knowing that you witnessed something, um, you've been oppressed, you continue to be oppressed, and you don't do anything about it. And that's why the reason to speak up early on and make clear communication of what expectations are. You know, we've come too far um, in our profession, in, um, in abusive uh, situations, hostile working environments, sexual harassments. We've come way too far for that still to be an issue right now. So what I say is always look for someone that you can trust use your voice, speak up. That should be your training coming through the academy. And there should be never an instance where you're afraid to speak up, where you witness something, you experience something, because if you don't say something, then that'll, that'll forever be your prison. So, um, and there've been many times in my career that I've had to stand by myself. I've been ostracized. You know, I was that person, every time I walked in the room, they're like, oh, she's the snitch. And I would, re I would be adamant, yes, that is me. Thank you for the title. I will snitch and tell on you. Don't do it in front of me. Um, except, and, and that's it. That's the standard. That's the litmus test. If I walk in a room, you got to stop what you're doing. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, and yeah. then and then that starts the reputation. And it, and it may be hard, but 
you know, this is a hard profession. We don't have room to, you know, look the other way when we see someone's rights being violated. That's not what we, that's not what we signed up for. That's not what we took an oath for. And, and what I would say about it is that I applaud those women for coming forward. You know, if they have the evidence and that's what happened, then I tell my people that everyone has the right to come to work to a stress-free environment. Our head as a law enforcement officer is always on the swivel. So I don't, the environment at work should be a more inviting one where you don't have to do that. And I always tell them, even though you're in a situation at this moment, think about what's after it because you're, where you're going is always better than where you've been. Your ladder is going to be greater. So it might be tough for you to stand up against what is wrong now, but it only makes it worse if you continue to let it just perch away. So you might as well deal with it. We have bad law enforcement officers, bad firefighters. It's bad apples in every profession, right? So it's up to us, like you said, to stand up to those individuals and stand up for what's right, even if you do have to stand alone. It might hurt for that moment, but in the latter part of it, it's going to be better and it's going to make the profession better. And to echo everything my sister said, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. This is not a surprise. Most agencies have some kind of litigation. You know, we often say culture eats policies. And if she was naming all of those different titles, uh, culture eats policy and change is not comfortable. And of course, you know, uh, people go against change, but you have to be that drum major. You have to be that person that, that my sister, uh, Chief Hawkins said, you got to look in the mirror and be okay with the chick in the mirror that know that you stood for something. And sometimes when you're standing, you have to stand alone, but you're not alone because when you're doing the right thing, God always have your back and you might have to stump your knee and you might have to cry a little bit behind closed doors, but you persevere and righteousness will always prevail. You know, this culture of policing, the very history of policing is a white male dominated uh, profession, Perfect, yeah. but the world has changed and we're part of that change. And you know what? We have every right to be here. We're not going to shrink. And the thing about it, when you see us, we're qualified because we don't have the same nuances that, you know, our fellow co-workers we have to be on our game and we have to bring it. And, you know, we have to stand for those folks that when we get in a position, you don't get comfortable and park your, you know, behind your wooden desk. You have to reach back. You have to change those policies. You have to break down those barriers because collectively that's our strength that we have to stand. So I applaud those sisters that have endured uh, at the DC Metropolitan. And like uh, Chief uh, Hawkins said, nothing against Chief Conti because this has been a long process. And yeah. uh, again, change is not comfortable. It's not easy, but a change is going to come. Yeah. Well, hey, everybody, I want to uh, remind everybody uh, that you're listening to You and the Law Podcast Show. This is our uh, fourth uh, series uh, this month in uh, recognizing uh, Women's History Month. And uh, we've got on four amazing uh, Black women leaders in law enforcement and uh, so many others who are listening. But if you miss any parts of this uh, podcast, uh, you can... Uh, Definitely check us out on our YouTube channel, You and the Law Podcast Show, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon. If you're on Amazon, if you're shopping for something, lady, you can find us on Amazon Music Podcast. So uh, I know everybody likes shopping on Amazon, so I had to throw that out there. <laughs> so, 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 uh, so, Keith, I want to ask the Director uh, Williams this question. So when you came on the Secret Service, um, and you say you served under, I think you said, what, former President Reagan? I came on when Ronald Reagan was the president, was the president. and I retired when Donald Trump, Trump. was the wow. president. So when you came on, were you sent to some, you know, field office somewhere? How did you, I mean, how long did it take you to get to that, uh, or were you ever assigned to the, to the White House? So I was. I did uh, my presidential, my protection time under the Clinton administration. And so I was um, the lead agent on Vice President Al Gore when he was running for president. So what we have to do, and this is how you align yourself with the Secret Service, you know, when your peers, your classmates, and remember, I'm the only female, 
you see how they're projecting and how they're growing and how they're moving. And your your career should be mimicking that. If they get assignments, you should be getting assignments. If they ask for additional training, you ask for training. You don't you don't tell yourself no. You let them tell you no, and then you say why not. You don't have to take that because someone has to answer to everyone. But if you keep persevering, and I can say this most humbly. It might have been 23 other white male uh, uh, eight, uh, candidates in my class, and I was the only female. But at the end of 30 years, who retired as the highest ranking uh, agent out of that class? Because you have to persevere and you got to know who you are and you have to reach for help. And, you know, and your help come from a myriad of, uh, of directions, you know, uh, in, internally and externally. But, you know, that's why we are, have an obligation that we have to mentor and reach to other sisters, even in our, uh, and Gina does it, the same thing, in our retired status, we have to reach back so that, you know, that sister don't have to go through the same hurdles that we once did. Ladies, I, I'd like to ask y'all a question. How does your faith, and, and I don't know what denomination or whatever, but how, 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 does, how has your faith played a role? A, a, a major role in. Ooh, 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 ooh. I'm Christian. My faith is my cornerstone in oh, everything that I do. And even more as I mature, that all I want to do is please God. You know, that at the end of the day, that's the only report card that really matters. You know, if you're going to talk about me, you know, I spell my name with a Y. Uh, I use my middle initial R, Williams. And if you're taking a picture, I'm going to smile for the camera. But at the end of each day, I want to fall on my knees and thank God that, you know what, he gave me another opportunity to make this day different from yesterday and that I have used whatever resources he has given me uh, to reach back and help somebody. And that somebody can be black, white, purple, or green. Um, when much is given, much is required. Um, Chief Humphreys, my faith has truly, truly been, like Director Williams said, the cornerstone of all of my decisions. Um, I've learned along the way. Um, his grace has given me so many opportunities. And I think what I really reached for was the ability to be authentically me and unapologetic me, me being able to respect others was through my faith, understand others, be accountable to others, um, was through, you know, he, he's the only one who I have to, have to get approval from <laughs> and I know his guidance. So I've been able to serve him in this manner, knowing that, um, everything's is going to be hard but i'm not alone and and i've appreciated that and like i said i thought i was going to be an attorney but i realized he had me on a different path and he still has me working so this retired title is temporary i'm going to be doing something more amazing and i'm just i'm really excited about it i'm really excited about it so and and i have to echo what was has been said um i'm christian by the way as well um but my faith is very important. I have my pastor on speed dial. He come and visit me at my office and pray for the grounds, new badges. He pray for the badges. And uh, we, we talk about things, you know, it's very important for us to have uh, connections that are not in law enforcement so that we can be grounded. But one thing that I read every morning, I was thinking about it as you all were speaking. I even read it throughout the day of something is to go on or whatever. And that's Acts chapter one that talks about that we're the salt of the earth. And when you think about salt, when you're at the table, you ask for the salt, you normally pass the salt in the pepper. What does the pepper, what does the salt do? It favors your taste. It satisfies your taste. So I look at, I'm put in this position and God has blessed me. And what I am to do is to be that salt for the next person to leave my legacy and to help others that are in need and to be a blessing to others. So my faith is very important because that's what I fall on at the end of the day. At the end of the day, I want to make sure that I have done what is uh, expected of me, that I have not offended anybody. And if I have, I'm not too big and too small, too wrong, that I'm too low, that I would not apologize. You know, because I can say something, we all can say something is uh, received differently. So if you want to pull me to the side and talk about it, we're going to talk about it. Because my thing is to lift you up. Because it's you today and me tomorrow. I believe that I am the side of the earth. So, yes, very much important. 
Uh, you, you know, Chief Knowledge, you, you mentioned salt. You know, uh, Swaggy One, he, he needs a lot of salt. He needs, the brother needs some salt. He, <laughs> yeah, he got to have salt. <laughs> don't be salty now. Don't be salty. Yeah, yeah. See, see, see he's you being do, salty. You do realize that when these ladies are off, I got to call and we got to do a follow up. You're not going to like what I got to say. Hey, but, hey, hey, uh, Hey, hey, Director Williams, yeah, I want to ask you this question. question. Yeah, go Nick, ahead. You got a good question. Go ahead, Bird. You got a good question. Go, uh, let's see. Where's Nikki's question at? I know she's had a couple of questions. Um, let's pull this here up. She says, I don't know, ladies, if you can see the question, it says, ooh, a, a better question. How did the uh, egos <laughs> of the men in your life fare with your success? <laughs> we ain't got enough time for that one. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? Um, it takes a mature individual. It takes a person to know who he is and recognize the strength uh, of a strong woman. You know, I tell people, I don't know any other way to be. You know, this is who I am. This is how God made me, you know, personally and professionally. Doesn't mean that I'm not a woman. I know how to roar. And I know how to purr, uh, but it takes an understanding person, someone that, you know, doesn't see you as a competition that is proud of you and, you know, and pushes you and pray for you and encourage you and that are very, uh, you know, very confident in who they are. Um, so uh, I've gone through a couple of toes, but I'm good. <laughs> I'm good now. <laughs> and, and I would say going back to our faith, the Bible says, he that finds it a good wife. So my husband and I have been knowing each other since the first rate. We're currently oh, celebrating Lord. our 31st year of marriage. He's very supportive. When I come in and he know I'm upset and I'm not saying that he know how to just sit back and give me that time. So it, it works very well together and it's very important that you do have that good support system. Are you a woman? <laughs> <laughs> you got, you got quiet. So, yeah. I, I, so I have many great male brothers that I support and their egos, but they got to be real with me. But if we're if we're speaking of relationship wise, um, I said my faith is my foundation. Uh, God never wants me to settle. He's preparing me for somebody amazing, um, and they're getting their game together right now uh, to be on a path uh, for hit for him. So, whatever, whatever, whoever I will be with, probably won't have an ego. Um, we'll be serving God and living on purpose as well. So, I'm excited Amen. about that too. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, uh, Director Williams, I got a, a question to ask you. When you served as the national president for Noble. What was one of your uh, initiatives when you served in that role for that uh, for that time period? Well, whew, my whole presidency was just a nuance for anything that had ever happened in Noble. Uh, I came, to, I became the forty third president right after the murder of George Floyd, um, mm -hmm. on the cusp of all this civic unrest. Uh, during COVID. So my whole platform was virtual. So I had to create that, create my messaging uh, to be professional and to put it um, through platforms that, you know, people could see it. The uniqueness of it during my whole tenure, I never stood before the body of Noble because of COVID. COVID. But God used me mightily. You know, I created a one of many things was a task force uh, entitled Reimagining of uh, Public Safety. Uh, it was co-chaired by Clarence Cox and, uh, and uh, Cedric Alexander. Um, that, that published um, uh, report, the report, it went to the halls of justice, it went to the Department of Justice, it went to the president's desk. Uh, we partnered with academia, with, with um, civic uh, leaders, uh, with law, just everybody to see what we could do to change the way things were. So just instead of giving statistical data, it gave recommendations 
plausible recommendations that you know communities can use. You know, one size didn't fit all, but it was something in that report that anybody could implement and change their communities. And so that was one of many. We had a, a voting uh, outreach with the national, I mean, historically black colleges and universities throughout the country. Uh, you know, get out and vote because that was during the campaign. Um, then, you know, uh, I must say, even as my first week as president, I was sitting at the uh, Department of Justice with then Attorney General Barr. He had just made the comment right before, uh, I, well, the day that I was sworn in, that he didn't believe systemic racism existed. Mm. Now, mm. needless to say, if I had hair, I wouldn't have had hair when I got through with that meeting. <laughs> but you know what? I say this most humble. You can say anything to anybody with tact and respect and passion. And so I told him, I said, respectfully, I challenge you to think different. Just because one has not experienced such does not negate its existence. And uh, from that point on, you know, he canted his head, uh, but it put me out on a global platform. And I say that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary, extraordinary things. You know, uh, you know that that was the opportunity to put me out on, you know, on um, national uh, broadcasting and globally because you have to be able to speak truth to power. He yeah. was a public servant as I was, and so when you have your opportunity, baby, you got to let that little light shine, and that's what I did. So it was so many things that God had allowed us to do and to use Noble and put Noble out there like it had never been before. Yeah, you definitely put the spotlight, put the spotlight on, it. on it. She also had a a, a, a very good, uh, infamous phrase. Can you repeat it for us, please, Linda? With a Y, you said systemic racism is is American. Oh, oh, I saw, Go ahead, oh. say that. <laughs> God woke me up before I went on TV at six o'clock that morning. I said systemic racism is as American as apple pie. And it really is. I said, you have to acknowledge a problem yeah. before you can resolve it. You know, yeah. for you to say as the head uh, law enforcement executive of this, you know, of this country, and you're in denial, I challenge you to think different, but it's American as apple pie, and you might as well recognize that. So you can't be afraid to speak truth. And you know what? God is my, the Lord is my shepherd, and he protected me. And as I continue to use my voice, uh, I still speak out on those platforms uh, with passion, uh, but with integrity. And you can say anything to anybody. It's not a popularity thing. This is business. It's not personal. Yeah. Well, hey, hey uh, Director, you mentioned, uh, 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 who, um, golly, my mind just went blank. Um, he's running for sheriff up in. Uh, uh, Clarence Cox. Clarence Cox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my, my mind just went blank, so I just want to give a shout out to Clarence, who is in a runoff for sheriff. So, uh, real good guy. Get out and vote, Clay yeah. County. Yeah. they yeah. need yeah. better. He, he's been a part of Noble for a very, very long time. The past president as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, ladies, we're coming up on the last uh, few minutes of the uh, podcast show, and we definitely want to. Thank each of you for taking the time to come out and join us. And, and Chief Hawkins, we we met at the IACP conference, and I brought up to you then about getting you on the podcast. And and thanks to uh, to Chief Bumpers, uh, she made it happen. So, uh, so yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank I, you. I know you're more annoying. I, I, I know you're not going to serve her, but I know you're going to work her. You said what? What? No, never annoying. First of all, no one's ever annoying to me. So don't put that on me, Chief Humphreys. Thank you. Thank you for finally connecting. I, no, I appreciate this opportunity. I thank you also for, uh, for giving an opportunity for one during Women's History Month, because any woman who's out there who's an officer or who wants to be an officer, know that you have support. All you have to do is reach out. And we are truly about helping you live out your purpose in this profession. And it's just been an honor to be here um, with my sisters and, and with you guys. Um, thank you for the support. Thank you for this opportunity. Well, thank you, ladies. And thank you. Uh, well, hey, Chief Humphreys, man, we're going to have to uh, bring this podcast to a close. And ladies, we, we thank you, uh, Chief Rollins, uh, Director Williams, uh, Chief Bumpers, who is on listening. We thank you all. And uh, make sure you tune in next Thursday for another episode of You and the Law podcast show. One of the hottest podcast shows uh, 
in policing. Thank you, ladies. All right. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity.